Hey everyone, Jonathan here with a quick content warning. Seth and I do discuss anxiety and panic attacks during this episode. So do with that information what you will. Take good care of yourselves and enjoy the show. Welcome everyone. So glad that you're with us. And Jonathan, I'm so glad that you're with me too. How are you today? Doing well. Always glad to be here on No Experts Allowed. And with that, check out www.noexpertsallowed.com to see our nice website. Nice. It's slick. It is slick. Made by Squarespace. Filled in template by us. <laughs> <laughs> but while they're checking out the website, I have a very important question for you. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want... To only be able to whisper or only be able to shout. Oh, no. (laughs) I think I'd have to go with whispering. Strictly from a practicality standpoint. There are situations where whispering is appropriate and you can be amplified somehow. You could use a microphone. Someone could say what you said louder. (laughs) But you could still have like a quiet night at home. (laughs) Whereas if you could only shout, you're just sitting around watching TV or sitting at the dinner table. You just have to scream like, pass the potatoes. (laughs) That's the only way you could say stuff like that. That just doesn't feel like a a life that I want to live. So I'm going to go with whispering. Okay, I'm going to go with whispering too for basically the same reason. Because you would, (laughs) if you could only shout. You would be a menace to every public space. Like anywhere there were right. anywhere there were people. If you could only shout, they just it would just be annoying. Like on the airplane. Like everybody would hate you. Yeah. This old Will Ferrell sketch on SNL where he plays someone with voice demodulation syndrome. <laughs> which is basically it what is, you're describing. Yeah. It's like you can only shout. He's like it's like, and imagine being at a party when the DJ says, and a little bit softer now, and a little bit softer now. <laughs> yeah, I just, the screaming all the time, just, no pun intended, it screams inconvenience to me. That's all I hear when I think, just like, stress. And I know Abby doesn't like when, like, the TV's too loud for an extended period of time. So if I'm too loud for an extended period of time, I can't <laughs> imagine that that would be good for me. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it's probably safe. She doesn't like the TV. She could she could end up not liking you for the same reason. And I definitely don't have a mute button. True. Well, with that, would you read our passage for today? Sure thing. This is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 through 20 from the NRSV. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Paninah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, 
As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. Well, thanks for reading all that. That was an endurance reading. (laughs) But great job. Is there anything in particular that jumped out? I know we had kind of a long passage. Yeah. The one moment that stood out to me was in the midst of the story that is about Hannah. Was in verse 8 when... Elkanah tried to make everything about him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah Hannah is wrestling with her ability to have a child. And he says, am I not enough for you? Like, <laughs> based more or less. Like, am I not more to you than ten sons? Elkanah, you're just missing the point, yeah. dude. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what stood out to me. It was just like... Why do you have to make this about you? <laughs> and and honestly, like, I kind of get a similar unaware response from Eli, too. Like, it's not quite as egregious, maybe, but it's still, like, his concern is only about, like, himself and his role in the temple. And, like, this drunk woman is just an embarrassment to be here. She needs to get out of here. When in reality, with both of them, she is expressing a reality of her own experience that is being seen as out of place or unusual in some way 
I'm just very impressed and moved by Hannah's experience in this story. Although this is one of the longer texts that we've probably read on the podcast, this is not really that long of a text in general. But she goes through a lot. And yeah. in, <laughs> like in our passage, right? Like Penny Na is like, like teases her for not being able to have any children. Okay, that's already terrible. Yeah. Then her husband sees that she's sad, just like you said, makes it about him. Then Eli accuses her of being drunk. This is not really going well for her, to say the least. I have so much more respect for her. Like, trying to read this with fresh eyes and seeing just, like, kind of the the myriad of ways that she keeps being, like, humiliated, basically. But it never seems to deter her. Although it certainly makes her very sad. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. I read that and say, I can see that. My gosh. Couple in all this humiliation and then it's on top of not being able to have a child that you want. Right. I I read sentences like that as kind of exclamation points when it's re- things are reiterated. Yeah. Like she was deeply distressed and wept bitterly. Later on, she says, I'm a woman deeply troubled, but I've been pouring out my soul. I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Like it's just, it just feels like we're, you know, carving it in deeper and deeper. This, this reality of profound pain that she's experiencing it seems particularly difficult that penny na has been able to have children and that seems particularly difficult for hannah and i wonder especially like in in the ancient near east that like children are we've talked about this a little but children are what is or who is going to kind of sustain you as you get older and take care of you like make sure that you have food to eat i just wonder like if if it's both sad to her now like oh i really want to have these children like raise them and and care for them and there's also like the the anxiety of what comes later like what happens when she's old like it's just all kind of compounded there's also for me this might be a little bit of an abrupt change that's fine but there's, there's this interesting reversal, and, and you might have looked at a little bit more into this, Seth, but I, I know at least enough on a surface level to know that you know, there's, a, there's a theological understanding of the ability to give, give birth, right? That it's, you know, we see it in this passage. It's either the Lord closed her womb or the Lord remembered Hannah and she was able to have a son. But there's this, this sense of not only is God opening and closing the womb but also there's this sense of a woman's value being tied up in her ability to have children and so there's that that cultural thread but here hannah is the one that exercises all the agency you know like elkanah is just like insecure and asking about why he's not enough for hannah even though he literally has another wife (laughs) 
and and Eli is like Eli is just challenging her and putting her down and she is insisting on expressing the fullness of her pain and mm-hmm. grief and really the fullness of herself and so for a woman who by her time standards is not of much worth she sure demands a lot of worth Hmm. like in the best way you know yeah that that's so well said i love your line she demands worth in the best way yeah she does she like she she pushes back against all of this like when elkanah wants it to be about him in the very next line she's going to the temple to pray right like, she's like, I gotta get out of here. She's like, okay. Like, like it's obvious that he's he's not more to her than ten sons. Like the next line, she's back there praying for a son. Right. Yeah. Like it's just like she's she's always like kind of making room, if I can say it that way. Yeah. It's just man. it's kind of summarized in verse sixteen for me. She says, "Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman." So again, kind of demanding that worth. But the reason that she gives is that she's been speaking out of her anxiety and vexation, that she is expressing her pain openly, that she is showing up fully at the temple to pray before God, which at least in the, in this story, I mean, we see that Elkanah sacrificed at the temple, presumably, but like, we don't see any of the other characters coming to do this. Yeah, yeah. And she is bringing her full self, a self full of pain and distress. And that is what she says makes her deserve being regarded as worthy. Which is oh, wow, it's so wow. interesting. Well, maybe this will help us transition to thinking about what's the point. Because I, like I feel like we're dancing on the edge of it right now. Catherine Schiffer-Decker, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, teaches Old Testament at Luther Seminary. And she reads this passage and sees in it the same kind of form as a lament psalm. That all of this kind of terrible stuff is happening that Hannah is, is kind of crying out about, just like we said. But that when Eli assures her that God hears her, that's when kind of things start to shift for her. And she says that it's nothing has changed about her outward circumstances, but suddenly Hannah is comforted. It makes me wonder how hearing other people and listening to them and their struggles can do the same. And I'm not really sure that it's it's really Eli who is doing that much. If I'm honest. Like <laughs> Yeah. I know this book goes on to say that Eli wasn't the greatest of priests anyway, and I think he kind of lives up to that reputation here. Yeah, I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not really sure if it's Eli doing that much. Just like you said, he's not really that great of a priest. As much as it's just being heard in general, right? In this case, it's it's by God. But I also think it tells us something about being heard by others, too. 
So I'm wondering, like, is there is there a time in your life when you felt like you were really heard? And it can be, I guess that that's a question certainly for all of our listeners, because I think sometimes some of them are little, too, but like they're still very impactful. It's not always like I, I want to have a child, and people people hear that and receive it or God hears it. Yeah. The relationship that stands out to me, Seth, is my relationship with Abby. And we do not do this perfectly, you know? Cuz I think I, I think many will understand the struggle of like hearing hearing someone that you love express something in distress and wanting to jump right in and fix and solve the issue. But I still identify one of my clearest experiences of God's divine arms of love wrapping around me, offering me comfort, was probably about five or six years ago. Abby and I were at her parents' house. Maybe it was a little longer ago. I know we weren't married yet. And I still uh, get visits from my old friend Anxiety every once in a while, but at the time... We weren't quite as good of friends yet, and he was hanging around a lot more. And I had a really bad panic attack. So bad that the only thing I could do was kind of collapse. It felt like collapsing into myself on the bathroom floor. I didn't fall hard or anything, but somehow Abby found me there. And I don't know... What prompted her to do this? But her response was to sit down on the floor with me. <laughs> and like there's, there's as you can hear in my voice, like there's a lot there's a lot behind this story for me. But it's that kind of moment where I felt like my whole self, you know, especially when you're dating, is not always on display. And in that moment, my whole self was out there center stage and was tenderly accepted in a way that made me feel feel heard and acknowledged and dignified. Because it's not just about someone understanding the words that you're saying. That's not necessarily what being heard is about. It's about being dignified and affirmed. I just resonate with that experience of Hannah too, because I'm sure whatever was coming out of my mouth in those moments that I truthfully don't really remember, <laughs> like it probably was making about as much sense as <laughs> as as Hannah was to Eli, mm. and yet, and yet there was like Abby in a very sacramental way, making the tender love of God real and tangible there on that bathroom floor <laughs> she's pretty great she is not just pretty great she's great that's a great story too thanks for sharing that with us thanks for hearing me <laughs> what about you can you think of any times that you felt heard when i was little i guess like before seventh grade i mean i had some friends but when you're like younger you're not like not talking about really deep stuff with each other. 
you're like playing tag. So when I, when I like had, I don't know, anything on my mind that I wanted to talk to, I would always tell it to our dog, Sam. He was six pounds, little black Pomeranian. He was, he was all hair. And although I, I knew that he didn't understand me, he had no idea what I was saying. He would look at he would sit next to me on the couch. He would look at me and he would cock his head like, you know, 45 degrees. He would just like stare, stare me in the eye. You know, I'd tell him whatever, whatever I was thinking about. And then he'd cock his head, you know, 45 degrees the other way. Like he was really listening to me. And I, th- I still think about that. Like even, he had no idea what I was saying. It's like you you were talking about with Abby, or talking about with Hannah, and Eli. You know, even if you're not making any sense, somehow that that tiny little black dog listened to me. Just sat next to me on on the couch. Yeah, it's interesting. The way that we can feel heard, and the way that both in your story and mine, the way that presence is is. A huge part of hearing. Yeah. Like a huge part of both of our stories about being heard. It's like, is the other being there with us? Again, in both of our stories, and in our, to go back to our text, and in Hannah's, all of the parties are being very quiet, I think. At least about mm-hmm. pretty quiet. They're not shouting or using a megaphone. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, like, sometimes when we speak quietly, that makes people move in. Do you think, while, while we're talking about hearing, I have one more question for you, though. That's just kind of on my mind. Do you think there there's, like, ways that we can practice being better hearers? Like, my gut is to say yes. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, and I, then I, I'm like, okay, what are the ways? And then I'm like... Right. And I'm like, I don't know, doing it, like, which is not a helpful way. <laughs> I mean, in a sense, that is kind of an answer. Yeah, it is. But I think the lesson I'm taking from this passage is what not to do from Eli. Mm, yeah, okay. Is when you when you see someone in distress, don't assume that you understand what's going on. And rather than approach with a mindset of correcting or solving what's going on, embracing a posture of presence and openness Mm. to learn what might be going on instead feels like a strategy to help hear and affirm the worth of people who are in distress. Even if you feel like you need to offer correction instead, it's that it's that instinct we need to fight, Mm. I think. And along with Elkanah's response, I think hearing is not about the hearer. Like he makes in his response, like it's all about him. Like and I just yeah. like I just wonder instead of am I not more to you than ten sons? Like how different it would have been if he would have said, you know, are you not more to me than ten sons? Like it's that it's that subtle change, but it it keeps the focus on 
on Hannah, not about Ox. So in summary, it sounds like this passage could be described as men just be better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know someone who has who has a t-shirt and it says raise better white people. And <laughs> like this is just like raise better men who listen. <laughs> like, like raise men who listen, right? Right. Oh, Seth, this is this is good. This has been a good conversation. I hope our listeners think so too. I hope so. Well, will you pray with me? I'd love that. For today's prayer, I have a short snippet from Hannah's prayer. That's in First Samuel chapter 2, so just kind of the next section. So I offer just a little portion of it as our prayer today. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. The Lord, his adversary, shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his kings and exalt the power of his anointed. I hope our listeners can hear this prayer with Anna. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We're so glad you're part of this conversation, too. Next week... It's the last week of year B, last week of the liturgical year, and we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 to 7. But thanks for walking us through this story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. Which is like a classic, this is a slight aside, it's like a classic sermon technique. The pastor starts talking quietly and you're supposed to like really listen. Right. Doesn't Michael Scott use that as a negotiation technique? He does, yeah. But but he just kind of mumbles. No one really knows what he's saying. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For today's prayer. Dog next door needs to be heard. Holy crap. It's been barking for like 15 minutes. Wait, what did you say? I hear you, dog. (laughs) Shut up.